Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Conversations presented by SAP. The best run business is run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to challenge the status quo and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Absolutely, I am here, and thank you very much. And let's see what the buzz is. First, I'll say welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. So let's see what the buzz is now. I have a quote from a gentleman named Dan Pontra, Pontefract, P-O-N-T-E-F-R-A-C-T, and he's the chief envisioner at the Canadian telecommunications company TELUS. He is a speaker, he's an author, and he's written Flat Army, The Purpose Effect, aha, uh-huh, and Open to Think. Here's the quote. Society wants more from its leaders. Employees simply want more from their places of work. When purpose is established and acted upon, great things can happen all stakeholders win. So let's take that apart a little bit and see what we've got here. We've got society, we've got leaders, we've got employees, we've got places of work, and then we have the big word we're going to be talking about today, purpose. It is becoming the buzz on purpose. You are listening to episode number two, in case you're wondering, out of our many, many, oh, it's almost three dozen Game Changers series, this is one of our newest ones called Game Changing Conversation. So we're happy to be here. So let's do a little more deep dive into what's happening on the show. In an increasingly connected world, we have more choices. Come on, you know, you can decide who you buy from, whether you buy brick and mortar, whether you buy online. You can decide pretty much for whom you work. Where do you work? Are you gig economy? Are you contractor? Are you full-time inside? Are you telecommuting? And we can decide what we invest in. That's part of who we buy from. Well, more and more of us want to work with a purpose-driven organization. What does that mean? That's a company that brings together talent and technology to address global challenges. Who benefits from this? Well, I can count it. I almost don't have enough fingers on one hand. It benefits businesses. It benefits customers. It benefits employees. It benefits partners. And if you take a big view, it benefits the world. See, I used up all the fingers on my hand. A recent WEF, that's World Economic Forum paper, noted that, quote, smart businesses are incorporating the broader principles of sustainability into their business decisions. Global retailers and manufacturers have a responsibility not only to their stakeholders, their shareholders, but also for the working conditions and the environmental practices that occur throughout their entire supply chain. So the question on the table for those of you listening to us all over the world here on the Business Channel, the question is, is your company there yet? I have a panel of three experts who are going to help us figure out if you're not there How can you get there and why should you? So let me just tell you who they are briefly and then we'll start off with their quotes in a minute. First up, it will be my pleasure in a minute to introduce you to Freya Williams, F-R-E-Y-A, if you want to look her up, CEO, North America of Futera, Futera, F-U-T-E-R-R-A, and we'll find out a little later what she does. We also have Jim Sullivan at SAP Ariba. We'll find out what he does later, as well as a colleague of mine I haven't spoken to in a couple of years, Padmini Ragnanathan. She's Vice President. President of Products and Innovation for the long title, Padmini, Supplier Risk, Compliance, and Sustainability Solutions for SAP Ariba. That's a long title. So let's circle back around the table to Freya Williams. And Freya has sent us a quote from 
Nelson Mandela, anybody who doesn't know who he was, 1918 to 2013, South African anti-apartheid revolutionary, political leader and philanthropist, president of South Africa from 1994 to 1999, and he served 27 years in prison. You can look up the story. Very compelling. Here's the quote. It always seems impossible until it's done. Freya Williams, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Bonnie. It's great to be here. Thank you. We feel the same way about you. So tell me, how did you pick this quote? And by the way, I have to tell our listeners our topic is, this is a real catchy one, billion, that's right, be billion-dollar business driving profit from purpose. So Freya, how does this quote relate to our topic, please? Well, I've been working at the intersection of business and purpose for about um, 12 years now, and I think sometimes the issues that we're all trying to tackle together can seem so overwhelming and it can be hard to see how we kind of gain traction. You know, the things I deal with day in, day out are things like climate change, um, equality for women, um, ocean plastics. Sometimes these can just seem like completely unsolvable problems. Um, But, you know, that's why I find this quote so inspiring because when you look at what Nelson Mandela managed to achieve, really, you know, one person led a revolution um, and, and, the history did bend in the right direction on on that case. So for me, really, I just think we all have to remember that sometimes incredible things can happen and are possible if we just set their mind our minds to it. So for me, this is a quote that's about sort of optimism, the triumph of hope, and the need to kind of just never never give up, um, knuckle down, and put your put your heart and soul into it. And that's really, I think, what my team and I try to do every day when we work on these these issues is to to remain committed to. Um, to the solution and to remain optimistic. Thank you, Freya. And, and I'm looking at it almost from a different perspective. I'm thinking companies that are tuning in are saying, what? We have to care about the environment? I know, Freya, there might be a few holdouts who haven't gotten on board the purpose bandwagon yet. What? We have to make a profit. We have to keep our employees happy. We have to keep our shareholders happy. We have to keep the press happy. We have to care about the environment. We have to care about people. We have to care about health. We have to care about uh, global warming and everything else. And and we still are going to be able to be in business in the next five years. So I would love to take this quote and apply it to those people. It always seems impossible until it's done and say to them, yes, you can. Would you agree with me on that one? 100%. I mean, this is really the work that I've been focusing on for the past um, the past decade of my life. And, you know, I think there's another way to look at that question, which is to say not that you have to deal with these issues, because you do have to, absolutely. But also what I've been looking at is really the huge opportunity for business in tackling those issues, in becoming purpose-led and thinking of um, these things, not just as where you need to either spend money fixing problems uh, where you might lose money, uh, where you need to donate money, but actually essential to how you're going to make money in the future. Um, and I've been really focused on the business case for purpose-led and sustainable uh, sustainable business because I believe that's the business model of the future. And in, um, in my work, I've been able to prove that there are many companies out there that have a billion dollars or more in annual revenue from products, service, and lines of business with sustainability or social good at their core. So I'm a firm believer that we should actually think about this as um, well, today this makes me impossible. Tomorrow this is going to be business as usual, um, and the huge opportunity to monetize this this big pivot in society to sustainable and purpose led uh, business in society it is there for the taking. And uh, I'd, I'd love it if uh, some business leaders leave this this conversation today feeling inspired to look at what the opportunity might be for their brand and their business. 
Thank you. I love the way you put that for you. Business as usual. Yes. We'll just raise our, our thumbs up. Yes. I like that. Thank you very much, Freya. Looking forward to a lot more conversation with you during the show. And now let me welcome Jim Sullivan. Jim, tell me what your current title is, please. I want to put that in my notes. What are you doing? <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Bonnie. It's good to be back on the show. So I am running a uh, center of excellence uh, at SAP around uh, sustainability and purpose. And the idea is to really uh, implement and operationalize exactly uh, what Freya was talking about. We have a, a number of initiatives uh, around uh, purpose throughout the company. And the idea is to uh, um, continue to better embed that so it does become business as usual, not only for us as a company, but for all of our uh, 300,000 plus uh, customers. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate that. I want to read the quote you sent me. This is a wonderful quote. One of my favorite comedians. You picked up a line here from Stephen Wright. Anybody who's too old or too young to know Stephen Wright, please take a moment out of your day today and look him up. He was born in 1955. That makes him young as far as I'm concerned. American stand-up comedian, actor, writer, and Oscar-winning film producer. I didn't know that. He has a distinctively lethargic voice and slow deadpan I'm trying to make Jim I'm trying to make people know what he sounds like and a slow deadpan delivery of ironic philosophical and sometimes nonsense jokes paraprostokians non sequiturs anti-humor and one-liners with contrived situations. Okay, I got past that. He was ranked the 15th greatest comedian by Rolling Stone in a list of the 50 top. That's pretty good. And he won an Academy Award for Best Live Action Short Film for writing and producing The Appointments of Dennis Jennings in 1988 and two primetime Emmys as a producer of Louie. That's interesting. Here's the quote. I know, Bonnie, would you get to the quote already? Yes. Here's the quote. Listen up. I intend to live forever. So far, so good. <laughs> Sorry, Jim. <laughs> Jim, what does this have to do with companies with purpose? Bail me out here, please. Yeah, thanks, uh, thanks, Bonnie. First of all, I had to put Stephen Wright in because I, I would agree with you. I think he's uh, one of the funniest individuals uh, I've ever heard, so I would encourage uh, listeners to, uh, to check it out. Um, secondly, I think it, it comes to a um, major challenge uh, with investing in purpose, which is this idea of uh, short-termism uh, versus the long-term. So obviously, you know, intending to live forever, uh, you know, and looking at tomorrow going, hey, I'm on the right track. This is going great so far. Um, but knowing it's somewhere in the, you know, in a future point, there's going to be a, uh, there's going to be a um, challenge to that worldview. So, uh the whole idea here is uh, within finance, within business, looking at the next quarter, you know, the next week, what you need to do uh, to invest. And as companies are really beginning to drive uh, more profitability from purpose, there's more and more research and, and studies showing that a more long-term view uh, on these topics really leads to uh, business results. So there's a, you know, McKinsey study I could cite uh, from last year showing firms with more of a long-term uh, view exhibit um Stronger financial performance. I think their market cap grew about seven billion more than the uh, than the other firms in the study. They added twelve thousand more jobs on average than other uh, firms in the study. And as, as Freya said, what we're really trying to solve is these long term uh, megatrends: population growth. How do we mm-hmm. feed that increasing uh, population? Resource scarcity, climate change, um, you know, Moore's law, and all the changes in technology. And these are all long term megatrends that are going to continue and we really need to tie a long-term view of business into uh into solving these problems so that's um 
that's why I chose that particular quote for this uh, for this topic. Thank you, and thank you for bringing me back to the day when I wanted to start quoting and, and emulating people like Stephen Wright. He he was so distinctive. He still is, right, Jim? You hear him, you just know who he is instantly. Very. I think tall. I'd put him a little higher than the uh, than the number fifteen, but uh, teach their own. I think so, too. There's a drollness to his delivery. Well, I have to stop talking like this. We'll never get through the show. Thank you, Jim Sullivan. Welcome back. And now, uh, as I mentioned, a colleague of mine, we've known each other for years. This is her first appearance on Game Changers, Pedmini Ranganathan. And Pedmini has sent us a quote that is often attributed to Mark Twain, but uh uh-uh, not really. It goes back farther to Robert J. Burdett, 1883. It was attributed to Twain, but I use, quote, investigator, and they say that it's started with Robert J. Burdett. I'll read it in a second. He lived from 1844 to 1914. He was an American humorist and a clergyman. I think there was a trend back in that era where clergy were allowed to be funny. He became noted through his paragraphs in the Burlington, Iowa Hawkeye. I'm assuming that's a newspaper. Here is the quote. Everybody listen up. This is a good one. Don't go around saying the world owes you a living. The world owes you nothing. It was here First, it almost sounds like something Stephen Wright would have said. Padmini, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Good, Bonnie. Thank you. It's great to be here with you, talking to you again after two years. Thank you very much. So tell me about this quote. Forget about whether it was from Burdett or Twain. How does this quote apply to our topic, please? Something that I totally believe in. I think it was. It uh, started with my cultural upbringing, perhaps that I this was dinned into my head by my mom as I was growing up. You know that always uh, stays with you, no matter what, uh, no matter how much you want to forget that in your teenage years, it comes back to you as you've grown up. Um, but more importantly, I think the uh, as I started to move from big data, technology, analytics, etc., Bunny, which is where we met last time. And mm-hmm. started to look at where technology can help, um, you know, and how can it bring power to um, the businesses uh, that that are looking to uh, to incorporate growth and profits and things that we're talking going to talk about here. I started to realize that it's not all about consumption. It's not all about um, resource and utilization, and and it's actually more about uh, conservation and preservation. So a lot of the social topics that seems to come into play in the businesses here, and this quote from my mom uh, uh, coming back to me kept, uh, you know, kept kept me alive pretty much throughout the conversations to realize that uh, yes, as we take from the world, we have to give it back, or give back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a cyclical nature here. There's a circular uh, economy and the circular nature here. Uh, nature teaches us so much that we um, need to really apply that in our decision making, whether it is uh, applying decisions to the technology we create or to the businesses we run. So, ter- just the first thing that came to my mind when um, when you asked me for a quote. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I happen to love the quote as well. So let's go around the table now, and I'll ask each of you what you do. Uh, Frey, I'd love to know a little bit about your company, and then I'm also going to ask you where you're calling from today and what powers you. I know you have quite a background, Freya. Tell us about Fuchera. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. And what's the drink that gives you the most energy or makes you smile the best? Freya, talk to me. So um, I'm calling from New York. Um, where I've been since uh, 2000. So, I've, although I sound very British, I'm actually now proud U.S. citizen. Um, ah. And so, of course, Bonnie, what is in my cup is a nice cup of uh, English breakfast tea. 
Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, a little taste of home. And um, the, the, the brand I choose is PG Tips. And PG Tips is fully Rainforest Alliance certified, which means that um, the tea is grown in such a way that it's um, helping to promote livelihoods for the people who grow it and helping to protect rainforest in the regions where it's grown. Uh, the bags are also about to soon be fully biodegradable, so it's kind of a, a more sustainable cup of tea. Um, it's also owned by Unilever. The brand is owned by Unilever, and Unilever is one of the companies that I often cite in my work here at Futera. So um, we, are a, we call ourselves a change agency. We work with businesses and nonprofits who are looking to drive major change on social and environmental issues, as well as drive change for their business, who are looking to be a force for good in the world. Um, and we do what we call the logic and the magic. So logic is helping you figure out what's your business strategy to drive sustainable growth and to unlock the opportunity we believe um, is a business opportunity of the 21st century to be a sustainable purpose-led business. And the magic is about bringing those stories to life through really powerful, relevant creative that touches people's um, hearts and minds. Um, and so my, my tea fuels me and um, Unilever is a company mm-hmm. I often cite because they're one of the companies in my book, Green Giants, about nine companies that have built billion-dollar businesses with sustainability or social good at their core. Is it that hard to do to, when we say build a billion-dollar business, Freya? Is that something we can almost envision, uh, let's say, uh, serial entrepreneurs just starting out in the tech field perhaps or mid-size, maybe mom and pops or low on the end of SME, small to mid-size enterprises? Can we see them salivating when they, when they hear you say billion-dollar business? Is it that hard to do if you're doing things right in general? Well, for context, I did ask that question when I was writing the book. Less than 0.00006%, I think it is, of businesses ever make it to that billion-dollar mark. So it is certainly quite a lofty ambition. Um, But in my studies, I found many companies that have have achieved, if not that billion-dollar target, certainly, you know, really significant uh, business growth and opportunity by embedding this thinking at the heart of their business. And that's true for what I call brands that are... uh, born good. So you might think about a brand like Chipotle or Everlane. Um, we can talk about them later, but you know, brands that had some of this stuff in their philosophy from the very beginning or brands mm-hmm. that you might call born again. These are the bigger companies that then, um, you know, had the opportunity to reinvent themselves by introducing sustainability into an existing business model. I suppose SAP would be a great example of that. Um, and so I think there is opportunity for everybody. Billion is not easy, but billion is possible. And I think that's really the message that um, I want people to hear. Thank you for the reality check. I appreciate that very much. Jim Sullivan, what do you do? Well, you told us you're a CEO, COE Center of Excellence for Sustainability and Purpose at SAP. Jim, let's just find out where you are. I'm looking at your picture you sent me before the show. It looks like you're on top of a mountain somewhere. It looks like it's cold and there's a, a lot of snow-capped peaks behind you. So are, are you in safe territory today? Are you on terra firma? And what do you love to drink? I am in uh, safe territory today, Bonnie. I'm sitting in Bethesda, Maryland, just outside of Washington, uh, D.C. And uh, but yes, you've you've hit it closely. One of my uh, happy places is in the mountains, and that was a big reason uh, that I've tied into uh, really my personal purpose around uh, around uh, climate and energy use and um, many of those topics. Is I want uh, my kids to be able to enjoy the same experience outdoor with uh, snowy winters and good ski conditions uh, that I grew up with. Um, in my cup today, I think uh, if you remember from last time, I uh, mm-hmm. had, was happy to discover Blue Bottle Coffee has uh, moved from San Francisco to Washington, D.C. Today, I've got a cup of coffee from uh, Ceremony Coffee Roasters. So today, I've chosen the local uh, route. It's called Mass Appeal. 
espresso, and uh, they have a good marketing person, I think, because it, it is, uh, consists of hot cocoa aromatics, snickerdoodle cookie, and a creamy caramelly cup. So I'm not sure that I'm tasting all of that in there, but the thing I like about it is they are a local roaster uh, based in Annapolis, uh, you know, a uh, fairly short distance uh, from my house. They have... Um, you know, a really good uh, program around transparency and roasting dates uh, for their uh, coffees. And they strive to deliver a cup of coffee that changes someone's life. So similar to um, Freya, I think there's, there's um, you know, in her comments on the tea, there's always a balance between the marketing speak and what uh, companies are uh, actually doing on this. But uh, an interesting topic today that I think we'll explore is that, you know, in the past hundred years of capitalism, we've looked at creating a commodity, a product, a pork belly, whatever it is that we can uh, sell. But now what consumers are looking for is much more of a market of one. We want a story behind products. We want Mm -hmm. transparency that, you know, uh, rainforests were not cut down uh, to make this product for me, that child labor is not uh, part of that. So it's really unpacking that idea of uh, commodities into uh, what the um, conditions around that and what the purpose of the company that you're buying from is. and Very I'll, well. add, I'll add one more yeah, thing, go ahead. drinking it mm-hmm. in a muggle mug, which <laughs> uh, muggle. says, I think, more about my daughter's uh, literature interests than, uh, than me, but I thought I would throw that out there for you. Oh, that's cute. And by the way, I looked up, of course, Mass Appeal Ceremony Coffee, and I'm just going to read this description in case anybody's wondering, because Jim does bring us interesting beverages. Uh, big in body and extremely sweet, Mass Appeal is an ideal workhorse espresso or full-bodied filter brew, perfectly rich with milk and as a standalone. Thanks to plentiful dark chocolate and sweet almond flavors, this blend of seasonal coffees from the Americas is extremely popular and hard to resist. You're right, they have a one Wonderful marketing person. A lot of good prose tips in there. A lot, a lot of good poetry in there, Jim. Thank you very much. And tell me, please, my grandchildren are older, probably older than your kids. Muggle, what's a muggle? Is that it's literature? It's a book, right? Or is it a movie? It's, it's a muggle it's from the Harry Potter series. Bonnie, oh, so my oh boy, am I out of it? I'm so and, and the the point of that is uh, is uh, using uh, many use uh, mugs as opposed to the single use uh, plastics that are uh, so ubiquitous and causing so many uh, uh, places of trouble in the uh, in the world. Thank you very much. Uh, my engineer just informed me that muggles are people that cannot practice magic. Is that correct, Jim? Uh, that is correct. Okay, thank you, Aaron Keller. Appreciate that. We have a fifth panelist on the show. And now, Padmini, let's find out where you are and what you love to drink. Talk to me. Great. I mean, I'm, nature is going to be my theme for the for the hour, I think. Um, so it's Tulsi, T-U-L-S-I. It is uh, coconut water and honey, all three extracted from nature, Um by, uh, by nature and uh, organically going back into nature. And let me, let, let me tell you why. Uh, it, it's interesting that as I was growing up, and keep going back to my growing up years, don't I? Um, you know, holy basil or tulsi, T-U-L-S-I, is considered the, the, uh, the medicine for the body. It, it's, uh, it's really stress. I mean, the number of adaptogenic elements that goes on into this. By the way, that's a new word I've learned. 
adaptogenic okay. drinks. Apparently, it's adaptogenic. a huge marketing term these days. Um, and, and so the elements that allows us to adapt to the stresses of the of things that are changing around us is is how uh, we we looked at this. And holy basil or tulsi is a plant that grows in every front yard or backyard of an Indian home. And it's actually revered and there are, uh, and, and every morning my mom would uh, have a bath and then go around the Tulsi plant uh, praying to the healing powers of Tulsi and we would actually use that for everything from when I had, we had fevers as a child to cough, cold, to, to just a regular health drink. So I, I continue to keep that in my cup and uh, I add the coconut water. Again, um, childhood memories, my my grandparents' house all had coconut trees in the backyard, and I remember my grandma pretty much using every single part of the coconut tree. And as I grew up reading books, etc., I I started seeing the coconut tree being referred to as a tree of life, and I can understand why because it, it it's amazing how every bit part of a coconut tree can be used in the house for things on a day-to-day basis. So I remember sitting on my grandma's lap. Uh, you know, when my my grandma used to take these dried up um, center uh, uh, in a piece of the coconut um, lea- uh, tree leaves, you know, the the branch, and uh, used to make eyeliners out of them, right? Really, so the eyeliner we used to use as kids. So now the coconut water, of course, the coconut husk um, for our bathrooms to heat up the water. The, um, the 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 re- uh, the regenerative property of a coconut tree is fantastic, and I wish we could actually ha- sustain properties like that. And last, of course, honey. I mean, who can complain about honey, right? Local honey. Um, the bees are so hardworking. It keeps reminding me of the hard work that the, honey, the, the bees put in to give us our honey. And so the three together is the blend I love to, uh, to think about for my drink every day. Thank you very much. Interesting you brought up, honey. Uh, interesting a few weeks ago, talking about purpose, Freya, Jim, and Padmini on Game Changers Radio. I met two of the people involved with a company called ERP in Africa. That's Elephants, Rhinos, and People. And they're using GPS and drones, and they're trying to save the rhinos. And there was a an article, I think, on CBS Sunday Morning this Sunday about the last male white rhino in North America. They had to euthanize him. He was 45 years old. But they captured uh, the ability to not clone but to make test tube rhinoceroses from his sperm and from two of the female rhinos who were in captivity. And they said it was good he was in captivity in a zoo all those years because it protected him and he was able to live a long life. But the reason I'm telling you this, Padmini, is that these two gentlemen were very kind and sent me a little gift box after the show. They were so pleased to be on Game Changers Radio. And inside was a bottle of raw honey. And I'm looking forward to that. So there you go. That's what we do, right? Honey and coconut Absolutely. and all kinds of good things. And it's so the let's protecting of this uh, preserved cultures and and traditions. Hopefully, for my daughter, who uh, I, I usually take these drinks with a big dose of hugs from my daughter. So that's. Always good. I like a big dose of hugs is always good. Well, uh, Jim may know this. Freya and Pimini don't know me. I know I say this all the time, but they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. And Tuesday is a double header. I have a 10 a.m. and a 12 noon. You're my second show already today. So all I'm allowed to have is water. 
cool, clear water in a green straw because here in Durham, North Carolina, it's not sunny. It's really, really gloomy kind of gray. And I don't know, it's a day that has a purpose somewhere, but it just looks like it's just sitting there flat saying, okay, so what do you want me to do? I'm waiting for the sunshine. We do have a lot of greenery, though. We've survived several snowstorms. Believe it or not, Jim, we had uh, eight inches of snow, which translated to 14 inches when I was shoveling it because it just piled up on the shovel. But it's still green, and the gardens are looking like the plants are coming back and surviving. And I have a landscaper coming in two weeks to beautify everything. So I hope the ground is warm by then. So it's water, water, water for me. We're talking today about interesting concept, billion-dollar business. And we had a reality check from one of our panelists, Freya Williams at Futera. And she said she's written a book, and it's not easily attainable, but some companies can. But the reason for this particular topic on our Game Changing Conversations radio series is that we're talking about driving profit profit from purpose. That's what we're talking about, the big P word, purpose. And we're speaking with Freya Williams, Jim Sullivan, and Ped Meany Ranganathan. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to take a quick break, so don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be back 90 seconds. Don't go away. Aaron out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network in a world where disruption is the new reality industry leading companies are partnering with their most strategic customers to navigate these changes and co-innovate for success when industry's top minds work together to solve tough problems faster we all run better Join our experts as they discuss the power of co-innovation, the impact of emerging technologies on the future of business and everyday life, and the importance of helping the world run better to improve people's lives. Game Changing Conversations is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Listening to Game Changing Conversations presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game Changing Conversations. Yes, indeed. That's what we're having, a game-changing conversation with Freya Williams at Futura, Jim Sullivan, and Padmini Ranganathan at SAP Ariba. And we're going to start the roundtable in earnest. We've really been going around the table, but we're going to start it in earnest with some notes from Freya Williams' discussion points she sent me before the show. And let me read a little bit, Freya, and then we'll have you go a little deeper into this. She says, defining purpose and the role of purpose today, it's not just warm and fuzzy, feel-good words on a PowerPoint slide. It should answer that very fundamental question, why does my business exist? And I know there's good purpose and bad. So Freya, why don't you explain for us, please? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really important question because uh, purpose is, I think, becoming one of those words that gets kind of bandied around a lot these days and everybody's looking for purpose and they're going to build some purpose. And, you know, I realized when I was writing my book that actually, I guess there's not one agreed upon definition of what purpose means Mm -hmm. in the context of business. So, um, 
And it's clear that for some people, you know, they're just looking to sprinkle a little bit of purpose fairy dust over what they're doing, a little bit of <laughs> donating to charity, which is all good, right? But really, when I think about purpose, what I think we're talking about is that extremely fundamental question of why does my business exist? What are we here to do? Why does everybody who works for this company get up and go to work every day? And actually, the most interesting companies are asking an even bigger question, which is what is the purpose of business as an institution, you know, why why does business exist? And increasingly, the questions they're coming, the answers they're coming up with, is something much more compelling than just sort of generating returns for shareholders. Really, the leaders that I'm interested in looking at purpose um, and business as a tool to drive positive progress in society um, and for the environment. In, in fact, some one of my friends describes it as people are thinking about this is business with a mission, but actually, it's a mission with a business. Business is kind of the tool mm. to solve the problems that we that we need to tackle to get to a sustainable future. So I think about a company like Unilever, making sustainable living commonplace is their purpose. Or Tesla, transitioning from a mine and burn hydrocarbon economy to a solar electric economy is their purpose. You know, these are really big epic quests, the kind of things that make me as an employee think, oh my God, that sounds cool. I really want to go work with them. I really want to work on that purpose with them because that is my purpose too. You know, so you start to get this real, very profound values alignment between the company, the people who work for you and your consumers, the people who are buying from you. So for me, this purpose question is about something very fundamental, very profound. Um, And so when you think about good purpose, bad purpose, I guess what we, what we're looking at there is a lot of people kind of want to borrow it. They want to just put it in their Super Bowl commercial, um, but maybe they're not really going to back it up with, with action. Um, purpose is really all about what we call logic and magic. You have to have a really robust plan in place. Why do we exist? How are we going to achieve that vision, that purpose? That's your logic. And then the magic is how am I going to bring that to life in a way that's going to make everybody want to be a part of it, whether they are my employees or my consumers. And unless you have if you don't have the logic, you're all magic. Well, that's going to be greenwashing or ethics washing. Um, and we've all seen those ads where, you know, it's social purpose light um, and they're borrowing interest, but they've got nothing to back it up and they're going to get in trouble. You know, that's when you're going to get called out for, um, for greenwashing or ethics washing. On the other hand, if you have a great plan, but nobody knows about it, nobody can join your movement. Nobody's going to buy your product. So having that complete package, we believe, is really what good purpose looks like. Um, but the most interesting companies to me today are demonstrating that there is a very robust business case for purpose. It isn't just about, as I said, fluffy words in a PowerPoint slide. It's about really thinking about how we're going to exist as a business and drive value in the 21st century. Thank you, Frey. I have a quick question for you before we bring in Jim and Padmini on this. And the question mm. is, when we think of people who want to work for a company that has sustainability, that has social values, that is doing good, that has a why, as you mentioned, why are they in existence? We typically put the M word on that we think of millennials. Is this bigger than just mm-hmm. what we call that demographic cohort, Freya? I think it is. Um, certainly, that, that cohort and the cohort right behind them, the folks that we all saw out, um, you know, marching for gun control and stuff this weekend, those generations, I think, are particularly fired up. They've grown up in a world where this is kind of what the brands they love do. Um, they've never had to choose between um, a brand that's purpose-led and sustainable on the one hand and a brand that makes money on the other or that performs on the other. They, they, they've seen as consumers they can have both. So when they go to look for work, absolutely they want both. But it's much more than that. I mean, I will admit that I'm not a millennial and uh, uh, none of my clients who tend to be the senior sustainability social purpose leaders in their corporates are either. And we are really seeing this as a, a movement that, that spans generations. 
So while I think a lot of the noise and certainly mm-hmm. and certainly that the energy is coming from that millennial and below consumer group and employee group, and thank goodness it is, I don't think it's just them either. But there are, you know, people in leadership who may not have grown up with this way. They need to unlearn a lot of things that they have learned over a career, over a lifetime. And sometimes that's where we see some of the conflict coming in. Thank you, Freya. Jim Sullivan, I know you're chomping at the bit to add some flavor to this. What do you think, agree or disagree? Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. I think there is so much to unpack in those uh, statements. I'm going to start mm-hmm. with a, a personal point of view. Um, last I checked, I am not a millennial. Uh, I might even be a generation <laughs> or two removed from that demographic, but uh, I am a purpose-based employee. I am at SAP because I feel like uh, they give us the platform to change the world. Our purpose is help the world run better and improve people's lives. And, uh, you know, every day we look at opportunities uh, and have the scale to uh, to begin to do that. So I certainly think it's not, uh, you know, just a millennial uh, challenge. Um, that said, it's interesting. I spoke at an event a couple of weeks ago at the Stern uh, School um, of Business in New York, and it was a number of investors and a number of business leaders coming together to talk about exactly this topic. What is the the ROI of sustainability and how do you measure that for, for your company and investments? And um, Andrew Lavaris, the CEO of, uh, of Dow uh, DuPont, uh, you know, was giving a bit of a coffee chat there and really said, you know, we don't need an ROI on this. We're more than a third millennial in our company and it's something we just need to do to compete and to have the right employees and to have people uh, excited about it. So that's, that's certainly one um, angle of it. On the other angle, um, you know, many companies do need uh, the business case from it. So you go from, uh, you know, Milton Friedman, uh, you know, many decades ago saying the sole responsibility of business is to increase its profits uh, to the recent letter from, uh, from Larry Fink uh, of BlackRock to CEOs two months ago, basically saying, you know, um, profitability and financial performance is important, uh, but it's not enough. Um, business also needs to show uh, how it makes a positive contribution to uh, society. So there's a number of, um, you know, kind of supporting uh, statements from a number of CEOs out there that, that really help uh, with Freya's point, a business with a mission and, you know, versus a uh, mission with a business. And I think it was actually uh, a Paul Pullman quote, and, and Freya, you might need to, um, you know, help me on this looking it up, but I think he was the one that said, you know, every time I try to make a, a decision that's good for people, I end up making a lot of money at it. Um, and it's really a, a little different way about looking at how investments uh, are made within uh, within business and solving some of these, uh, you know, really uh, intrinsic megatrends. Thank you, Jim. What was that quote? I'll look it up for you fast. Well, I'm going to invite Pedmini to talk. What was the, the person who said it? Was it Jim Pullman, you said? It, it, it was Paul Pullman, who's the CEO. Paul Pullman. Okay, I will find it for you. Go ahead, Pedmini. Love to get your thoughts. Uh, absolutely. I think uh, Freya and Jim uh, talked about, uh, you know, it, it, doing good is actually good for the business, right? I mean, this is becoming more and more apparent. Uh, you know, we, I work in an environment where we are constantly thinking about the purchasing power of businesses, right? If you look at the global 2,000 companies, they collectively spend over $12 trillion in goods and services annually. Now, in that con- in that context of spending um, you know, of spend uh, as is established between a company and another company, the business-to-business relationships. Um, they have, the companies have to think about what can our buying power provide that ensures 
better sustainable practices, right? Be it environmental sustainability, whether it is looking at the um, the waste recycle uh, aspect, or whether it's looking at uh, conserving water, or, or uh, you know, the, the reducing ocean plastic. In any of these areas, it, it's it's a buying power that can actually collectively be brought to bear. So the word collective being very important here. Um, I was in uh, in the uh, UN Global Compact uh, workshop last week, where we were uh, a set of us that were looking at how do we bring forward the uh, ability to. To, uh, to take measurable action around the impact that we can achieve collectively on, on decent work in global supply chains. That's the action platform that we are part of. And, you know, it's decent work is many things to many people, but it's, it's really about that individual. It's about that worker. It's about the worker voice. It's about the workplace. But more importantly, it's also how the, or collectively all of that impacts the community. So when we look at providing fair labor practices um, in our company's supply chain. So when we look at the opportunities available for encouraging small businesses, whether it's black empowerment business in South Africa or indigenous suppliers in Australia, you know, we have to look at what that means to the community. So it goes from the individual to the community. Now, what can a purchasing power do? Um, because the, the constant has been traditionally, I mean, I, I think I've said this a number of times before, commerce is not new, trade is not new, it's been going on for for ages and generations, um, barter onwards. But what is new is the ability to influence and impact, especially as we've started growing uh, mm-hmm. into global economies and uh, connected economies, etc., the ability to impact using our purchasing power, the good aspects of it. It's not just about cost savings and squeezing down the suppliers, because the more we squeeze the suppliers, the more there, there is a likelihood of, of uh, forced labor activity, right? That's a correlation we've start, we are seeing out there with the data. The good thing about data and technology is that it can actually bring these correlations up. It can actually bring some of these ideas to the people who make those decisions. So as you're making the purchasing decision, you know, and and leveraging those trillions of dollars and spend collectively, how can we make sure that there is no no slave labor, no... um, you know, uh, 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 no, no issues around wages or wage discrimination uh, in, uh, out in those far-flung fields and, and so on. It's not the easiest thing to do. Uh, it's easier to talk about it than to actually go down and see what actually happens. But technology can make that change and make that influencing decision-making power and then collectively, collaboratively working together between these these purchasing power organizations and the, and, and the companies and the companies that are actually producing those goods and services at the, at the tail end of the supply chain, how can we make that more transparent is really where my head is at right now, right? So if the, that transparency comes in, then that purchasing power can be put to good use. We can encourage better business, better practices, and more ethics in the supply chain. And so as we get into, these, um, uh, into the purchasing power, the question really to ask is, how can we make those dollars work for the social good um, and environmental good? Uh, because it's not just consumer companies that are doing this. It's everyone. Uh, the ones that we heard la- I heard last week, um, automotive companies to chemical plants to oil and gas, uh, these companies are very risk-driven. And that sort of explains, Bonnie, my long title. It's risk and sustainability. Can't be one versus the other or one or the other. It is 
looking at both together. And it's really about appreciating those companies and those organizations, in my mind, that are actually going to these risky geographies, working with these risky commodities, working with these high-risk um, scenarios and still making a change for the good. How good can that be, right, if they take Thank the toughest you. problems and try to solve them? Thank you, Padmini. A lot of great thoughts in there. I'm going to circle around quickly back to Freya Williams. And Freya, is there anything you want to say and add about what Jim and Padmini added before I move on? Well, I think it's just super encouraging. You know, all of this is evidence of progress when you listen to what's happening with the Global Compact and, and so on and so forth. You know, I think for me, what this is about is not underestimating the moment that we are in, which I believe is this kind of fundamental inflection point for the role that business plays in the world. And, um, you know, capitalism is a system, right? And when we think about my earlier quote of nothing seems impossible till it's done, we, we all are in this capitalist system right now. And it's a hugely successful model, but it's had some unintended uh, side, side consequences that we now have the opportunity to fix to make the system even better. So I think shifting this, um, this huge engine of economic growth um, that we're all part of into something that's um, even more positive for the world is, is the opportunity before us and to make a huge amount of money doing so. So I think, you know, all of these little um, signals of progress is super encouraging and, um, we can, we can all do this if we work together. I think it's an exciting time to be in business and an exciting time to be thinking about purpose as kind of the new North Star for business. It is. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned new North Star. That's always something I think that gets people's attention, Freya, just the concept. I think we all look up when we hear that and think think we're going <laughs> to see something. Uh, I want to move to some comments here. We have a little bit of time left for just one more topic here. We've been covering a lot of depth on this already. Jim Sullivan, you talk about the evolution of corporate purpose has characteristics of an economic paradigm shift. You also told me in your notes you have a myth here. Corporate purpose is the way a business spins its money rather than makes it. Can you combine those two briefly and give me some information here, Jim? Yeah, happy, happy to do that, Bonnie. I think, um, you know, again, as, as Freya said, I want to unpack one uh, statement she just made mm-hmm. is, is one sure. model that um, really helps to my mind uh, came out of uh, Stockholm Resilience Center, but it's, it's really looking at the UN Sustainable Development Goals and how they kind of... Um, uh, you know, chain and more of a cake model as opposed to a, um, you know, three-legged stool model. In the past, we viewed economic and social and environment as, as legs of a stool. And, you know, what we really find unpacking that is that the economy operates within the constraints of society. And, uh, you know, we kind of make the rules around competition and uh, fair trade and all of those pieces. And society then needs to operate within the carrying capacity uh, of the environment and of the planet. So you're starting to see more trends like science-based goals and uh, a lot of things uh, from companies in that regard. And then as, as Padmini said, you know, what can we do within existing economic structures? We have an opportunity, um, you know, to uh, at that point of inflection when a transaction occurs, you know, ask about the transparency, ask what we're buying, ask what we're paying for. So I think, um, you know, to come to your question, all of those fit within a real paradigm shift of how business is interacting around this, and it really happens in phases. Um, as Padmini said, phase one is really increased transparency from a business of, of what are we buying, what are we selling, how much information are we, um, you know, giving to uh, to consumers on that, and um, 
you know, again, not to not to uh, overuse the Unilever example, but they came out last year with a uh, plan to provide all chemical information uh, on products to uh, to consumers as part of a transparency uh, initiative. So it, it's really moving from kind of initial transparency to hyper transparency around uh, products. Um, the second component of that is really beginning to transform existing business models. And an example there would be a company we're working with in India, Adarsh Credit, uh, is a banking company. And one of the challenges for them is how do you reach people that aren't, uh, you know, close to your branches or your banks? And it becomes financially not viable to build branches in uh, many of these communities. So using mobile technology and platform, they're able to expand their existing business model to many underserved um, communities in the, uh, in the finance. And then the third component of that is really transforming uh, existing uh, business models. So how do you begin to uh, look at uh, the blurring of industries around that? You know, us as consumers becoming energy producers by putting uh, solar panels on our house, battery storage, electric vehicles. You know, we're, we're blurring a line between uh, consumers and uh, energy prosumers uh, within that uh, around the new um, business models. So, um you know, really, uh, to tie back to Freya's point, it's, it's, you know, the initial thought of this was philanthropy is business gives money to things that, you know, make them mm-hmm. feel good. It, it's morphed into corporate social responsibility and the sustainability and now in purpose. Um, but it, it really comes back to this point of solving megatrends that are massive issues in society and allowing business to function within the economic model uh, to be able to make, uh, you know, reasonable profits while solving these global challenges. So. I'll um, wrap up there. Thank you very much. And you know what? You took us right up to our crystal ball predictions round. So, Padmini and Freya, I'm not going to have an opportunity to ask you to comment on Jim. But, Freya, I'm going to circle back to you around the table. I can give you each 90 seconds, just barely 90 seconds, a tight 90, not five minutes each, 90 seconds. And I'm going to ask you to look forward. At some point in the future, Freya, we'll start with you, Freya Williams at Futura. Uh, anytime you could go 2020 or any farther out than that you like, talking about billion-dollar business, or we could say Multi-million, if that's more attainable, Freya, driving profit from purpose. Will we still be talking about purpose or will it be synonymous with just doing business at some point in the future? Freya Williams, you're up. Prediction, please. Go. Well, I'm I'm looking at 2030 because that's the year okay. when this big global agenda of the sustainable development goals are all aiming towards. And by then, I'm hoping we'll be um, at a big global conference, all celebrating and toasting success in achieving the sustainable development goals together and business has been a key force for getting there. Um, and we have thriving businesses that managed to negotiate this transition and to make money while solving world's challenges. And hopefully by then, um, Futera's mission will have been fulfilled. Our mission is to make sustainable development so desirable it becomes normal. So my hope is that by then it is indeed normal and we're looking back on purpose as the thing that helped us get there and business as the engine that drove it. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point. Appreciate that. Mr. Jim Sullivan, you're up. Predictions, I can give you 90 seconds. No more, no less. Go ahead, Jim. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. I think um, I, I would pick 2030 uh, as well in terms of, um, you know, moving towards an inflection point. But I think uh, it's already happening today. I think if there are startups or new businesses that aren't fully embracing, uh, you know, a mission with a business attached, they're not going to be in incredibly long for the world, um, or they're not going to have the opportunity to get to that multi-million or that billion-dollar number. 
in terms of existing business and existing commerce. I think there's a, a longer change management uh, process in place that uh, many, many companies are going through around this. But I tend to be a uh, optimist um, in terms of looking at, uh, you know, the growth in technologies and technological solutions that uh, that really enable us to uh, move forward um, in solving some of these large uh, global challenges. So uh, I remain a bit of a an optimist uh, due to our technology pathways on uh, on some of these problems that might seem uh, unsolvable. Thank you, Jim. Padmini Ranganathan, I have exactly 90 for you. Go ahead, Padmini. What do you see in the future? I'm going to take a shorter-term perspective. By 2020, I would like to see companies bringing human rights violations and its supply chains down to zero. We've mm-hmm. got to aim for that. I mean, that's, that's one is too many, and it's possible to do if everybody collectively uh, focuses on that. That would be a personal goal, but I guess that's uh, going to take a lot of collectives coming together. Uh, maybe 2025. But 2025, 2030, clearly in the next decade, uh, we've got, uh, uh, I, I see more and more companies using information and data to, to bring changes to their um, their decision-making. Uh, clearly, I, I see that in the technology area uh, being a very critical part, playing a very critical part. But, you know, I also see companies, um, uh, while grassroots work for awareness, governance, um, uh, compliance is critical, I would see companies getting more into a collaborative co-development partnership with buyers and sellers with transparency across the supply chains. I would like to see more or less compliance, less check the box, less code of mm-hmm. conduct, uh, uh, you know, thrusting or through the supply chain. Instead, I would like to see uh, more of that collaborative effort to actually apply that code of conduct equally uh, with equal partnerships uh, all the way down to the last thread of that supply chain, which is the human beings at the other end of the farm or the other end of that fishing ocean or that mining um, company from below the earth. Thank you, Padmini. Beautifully put. And I have a quick quote here. Uh, Jim, I looked up Paul Pullman, uh, Unilever, and I have a wonderful quote I'd like to end the show with. I think you will all appreciate this since we've been, uh, we've been summoning him all through the show. Listen to this. Unilever was a present from heaven when the opportunity came to lead this company. I actually only joined this company for its values. The origins of Lord Lever when he did his sunlight bar soap and life boy. It wasn't to report quarterly profits or to make shareholders happy. It was to address the issues of hygiene in that time in Victorian Britain, which were humongous. So the reason I believe businesses should be around and the reason businesses have been created is to serve society. Freya, what do you think of that quote? Pretty good. Yep. That's it in a nutshell. That's, that's it. That's it. That said the whole thing. I'm going to copy that into my notes. Jim, I hope you like that as well. And Padmini, and I want to say thank you to the three of you. We're just about out of time. Been a very interesting conversation. And I have a shout out to a very special lady at SAP, Amy Bateman. Amy, thank you for putting together this very interesting topic in this stellar panel. We have been speaking with Freya Williams at Fuchera, Jim Sullivan at SAP Ariba, and Padmini Raganathan at SAP Ariba as well. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. 
and I'll be back tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Business Channel with a new live edition. What else? It's always live. Coffee Break with Game Changers talking about the one thing that motivates employees to be engaged or not, to be happy or not, to be healthy or not. It's how you compensate them. Are you stuck in the old-fashioned paper performance, or are you realizing that the workforce has changed and the definition and meaning and style of work has changed? Uh Uh-huh. Do you want to listen up? We will have two experts on the topic, Dr. Gabby Berlaku from SAP and Lauren Pytel, joined by two graduate students at Baylor University. Going to be a great conversation. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Oh, what are you waiting for? Go out and be like Freya Williams. Be like Jim Sullivan. Climb a mountain. Be like Padmini Ranganathan. Go out and find something good to drink for you. And I did look up adaptogenics, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued by that. And thank you and shout out, of course, to Amy Bateman, as I said, and Shannon Lester for sponsoring this wonderful new series. And a shout out to Aaron Keller at World Talk Radio, the business channel, our engineer, intrepid as he is. So here is finally, what are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. That's an order. Bonnie DeGram signing off. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changing Conversations. Best run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham on Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.